thinking about apologetics and the name of this uh, Bible study or this apologetics course is I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Any of you ever discussed, uh, discussed the word or discussed your beliefs with an atheist or an agnostic person before? Yeah, it can be difficult. You, sometimes you feel like you're going around in circles when you're discussing it. So the question is, what, uh, why are we doing this? Number one, let me tell you what apologetics is. I, wanna, I want you to understand what apologetics is. Because I think this is a, a word that needs to get into the church, period, throughout all the churches. Sadly enough, we have the, the, the worst place for a 19, 20-year-old to go is to university because they come out, they're no longer a Christian. I mean, a high majority of them don't go to church after they come out of university. The reason behind that is they're not learning what they believe before they ever get there. And we're going to, some of the questions that will be answered, that, that we're going to ask and we want to answer, like one of the questions that we're going to get into is when somebody asks you why you believe the way you believe, is faith the right answer for that? And I think we're going to look at this and we're going to realize it saying, well, because I have faith, we're going to realize that's probably not a great answer. So knowing what we believe and being able to defend that, so apologetics is, uh, comes from a Greek word called apologia, apologia, and it's, the legal term means defense. And so what you're doing is you're defending our historic faith, all, you know, whether it's uh, through Christ or all the way back into the Old Testament, the things that are in the Old Testament. And the great thing that we can learn and understand when we're talking about apologetics is that everything in the Bible is backed up. Everything that you look at, if you look at the resurrection, there's so much other historical evidence that confirms that. So when you get into discussion with somebody who says, you, you start quoting scriptures and they don't want, well, the scripture, the, well, this, that, and the other, you know, well, you're just saying this. No, there's, there's other stuff to back it up. We'll hit on some of those things as we go through go through this uh, Bible study. Uh, you know, the other thing, the, kind of the, the first verse that I wanted us to get to is Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Uh, some versions say they perish for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you for, from being my priest, and because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. We need to be knowledgeable. We need to know the scriptures. Uh, there are great, uh, one of the things is if you want more of this, I encourage you to download the, um, the app. It's called um, crossexamine.org. I, I encourage you to go download that app. I've got it on my phone. You can go and you can listen to the weekly uh, radio programs that uh, Dr. Frank Turek, who wrote this curriculum, did. And the Dr. Frank Turek, he wasn't a Christian. But through studying and, and uh, you know, being introduced, not just saying come to faith, but being introduced why it is real, why it's, it's accurate, he came to faith in Christ, and through that, he actually has a doctorate degree in apologetics. Uh, but this guy, we're going to watch a little bit of, of one of our teaching videos tonight, and we'll watch a little bit of it. It's, it's a long one, so we're going to split it up into a few, um, two or three nights, probably. But with, but. You're going to hear him. He's exciting. Well, he has a, a weekly program. He interviews. He talks about things that are going on in the world today and how uh, uh, you apply Scripture to that. Like, for instance, the word tolerance was this last, uh, this last week's radio program. 
So I encourage you to get on that. Another a great apologist is Ravi Zacharias. Some of you probably have heard of him and listened to him. He's another great person to listen to. And, and there's other uh, apologists out there, people who have really studied the Scripture. And uh, just give you, you just get this information inside of you so that when you go to witness to somebody and when somebody brings something out to you, you're, go, you're not going, uh. Now let me say this. There's never, it's never a problem to tell somebody, hey, can I get an answer and get back to you on that? That's one of the things when we get the witness of the people, we're like, oh, I don't know this answer. They're going to think I'm stupid. No, just say, hey, can I get an answer? I'll get back to you. Most people will say, okay, sure, because they, they want to hear what you have to say. And then you can call me or you can call somebody else in the church that you're like, man, I know this person knows this answer. Where's, where's this is found in the Bible? What, what's the, the information I have to back that up? So we do not want to be destroyed for lack of knowledge. Go ahead. The modern English version. Pretty much it, it, it follows the same, the, the modern English version, MEV, follows the same, um, the same transcripts that the King James Version follows. It's just a little bit easier to read. Um, and so I like using MEV for Bible study. I like the New Living Translation for daily Bible reading because it just flows really easily to read. But uh, the MEV is a great one. I mean, listen, NIV, New King James, King James Version, most of the translations out there, you're going to get what you need out of them. And so I don't really, you know, get too down on many of them. I will say when we're talking about Bible translations, be careful when you pick up a translation or a one that, the one they call the message, which was one person who paraphrased uh, Eugene Peterson. He paraphrased the whole Bible himself. I think you need to be very careful as in using that for daily Bible study uh, or Bible reading. You may want to use it as a supplement to see, okay, what does he think this passage? Because the message is written really in, in uh, some people would say everyday language, but maybe even goes even further than everyday language. Um, there's a lot of liberty in what he puts in there, and, and there's some other versions like that, so I'd just be careful. But MEV, New King James, uh, the ESV, like I said, all those, uh, the NASB is another great Bible to use for study. Um, but anyway, I like using this one right here. It's not, it's not as popular because it's a, a little bit newer than some of them, but I like the King James Version. I like how this one you know, pretty much stays close to what the King James does. So Matthew chapter uh, 22, verse 37 says, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So when we uh, study the scriptures, all our mind, you know, we love, we, we, love a, we love the Lord, we heart the Lord, right? But what about our mind? What do we know? Uh, you know, when, when you're uh, somebody like Destiny working at Kroger, you know, and somebody brings something up, does she have that knowledge and information to be able to say, no, this right here. What about the resurrection? What about the resurrection of Jesus? Well, did you know that the resurrection of Jesus, other than in the Koran, that all, that all other, I mean, the Jews um, and uh, the, other, the other religious uh, people out there, they all recognize that Jesus died on a cross. Just the Muslims don't. It's pretty interesting. So those kind of things you start realizing that uh, there's a lot of historical information to back that up. Yep. Here you go. Put this in your mouth so, so when...
So now the Jews, now they, I know they acknowledge Jesus, but they looked at him more as just a good man. Was it, uh, I mean, do they still recognize him as He's not Messiah, unless unless they're Messianic Jews. Yeah, they're not, they don't look at him as Messiah. Gotcha. Yes. One day, one day they will. I mean, during the Great Tribulation, he, you know, the the whole, the, so many of the Jews are going to turn to Christ during the Great Tribulation. Of course, that's another, another study for another day, which I love, Revelation. First Peter chapter three verse uh, fifteen. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer to every man who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and fear. So one of the things I wanted to say, and, and this is why we may not get deep deep into the first lesson. I wanted to really set us up, kind of give us a basic basis for what we're doing here. Number one. We want to be ready to give an answer. That's, that's why we're studying like we are here. Uh, a lot of, the, we're seeing this, especially in the United States, that many churches, people go to church three times, three times every eight weeks. And when they go to church, they get a 25-minute message. That 25-minute message has one or two scripture verses in it. That is all they're getting. It's very difficult to discuss your faith when that is all you're getting in the church. And so when we talk about when we talk about doing this study, one of the things I wanted to tell everybody, as this church, as we grow, I want to be a church that studies the word, that knows what we believe, is able to give an answer for what we believe, okay? I don't want to just say it, oh, the, well, the pastor preached on Sunday morning, therefore I believe it. No, but why do I believe it? More than just the pastor. Where did he get that from? Where is this stuff coming from? Whatever class that you're in, I want our classes to be based off scripture, teaching us scripture. If you look at Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, how did he defend himself? How did he combat Satan when he was uh, being uh, tempted for those 40 days and 40 nights? He used the scripture. He didn't just make something up. He says, it is written. And we need to be able to do the same thing. Uh, So be ready to give an answer to every man uh, who asks you for a reason. So your reason, like I said, we're going to learn, it's not because I have faith, but there's a lot more to it. What do you have faith in, right? There's, do you have, uh, um, I could say that I have faith that it's going to uh, snow tomorrow. Well, how do I know that? What am I putting my faith in? Why can I say that? The news doesn't say it's going to snow tomorrow. Just because I say I have faith in it, or that I believe in it, doesn't mean, doesn't make it true. And that's one of the things we're going to deal with. Uh, through, throughout this study. But with gentleness and fear, anybody ever run into somebody that wants to discuss Christ with you, but they don't do it in gentleness? They're real pushy about what they believe. Well, and I've told this story a while back, but I'll tell it again for those who haven't heard it. My brother and I were coming back from Mississippi. We were working as insurance adjusters in Mississippi, and we were coming back from Mississippi. We had stopped to get us something to eat. This guy walks over to me, and he starts in and starts witnessing to me. He doesn't even find out where I am with the Lord or anything. He just starts witnessing. And it was so pushy. It was so just over the top. And so I didn't ever tell him I was, or I didn't tell him at the time that I was a Christian. Instead, I kind of left that alone. I just want to talk with him. But it was so aggressive and almost so mean in a way. When I got to the, he got so worked up, 
talking to me because I was asking him some questions. Well, this and well, that. I said, finally, I said, hey, stop. I am on your side. We're on the same side. I said, but let me recommend something to you. When you witness to somebody and you're telling them what you believe, do it with love poured all over the top of it. Okay? And so just because we may learn something and we're telling somebody, let's do it with a lot of gentleness and understand. And when it says in fear, fear of the Lord, we need to know that we want God to be glorified in this, right? And how would we do it if the Lord was in front of us? So let's, let's do it with gentleness and with fear. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So, how do we cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? We need to know the knowledge of God. We need the scriptures, the Bible. We need that Bible inside of us. Uh, the, the, the word says, hide my word in your heart so that you won't sin against me. Hide the word of God in your heart so you won't sin against God. And then bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Well, if, how do you know that your thoughts are not obedient to Christ if you don't know the scripture? And we have many people out there who, what did I say Sunday? They want to live like the devil and think they're going to get to heaven, right? You know, I live like the devil, but I'm saved. What's happening? They don't have knowledge. What did we say earlier? My people perish because of lack of knowledge. So, four things here that you, that you could write down why why we're doing apologetics, why we may be different than a lot of churches out there. Number one, in order to show that the Bible is true beyond any reasonable doubt is why we're doing it. And this is what we have to do. We have to answer these questions and be able to say yes to these questions. Number one, does truth exist? Number two, does God exist? Number three, are miracles possible? And number four, is the New Testament true? All right. So does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? Is the New Testament true? These are things. And going and telling somebody, well, yeah, I believe miracles are possible. Why? You want to be able to answer the why. Does truth exist? How do I know truth exists? Does God exist? How do I know God exists? Is the New Testament true? How do I know this? So those are things... <coughs> <laughs> that you need to be able to know, and that's why we're doing apologetics. And I'll just give you a quick overview here of, of our lessons. Like I said, it's a 12, it's 12 weeks, but I, I think that we're probably looking somewhere, you know, around between 15 and 20 weeks, maybe 15 and 18 weeks, depending on what the, how the discussions go here. And I want us to discuss. Let me say something as we discuss. Let's stay on topic. If I, if I move you back on topic, just understand I'm not doing it out of being rude to you. I'm doing it so that we can get somewhere because I'm more than happy to talk about other things off the side. But when we're in class, let's stay on the topic that we're on. So does truth exist? That's going to be our, our first lesson. And then uh, lessons two through six is, is talking about in the beginning, divine design. Just letting you know this. You don't have to write this down. The origin of life. What about evolution? The moral law. There's, these are great topics because evolution, you know, we have this this theistic evolution that's crept in the church 
which is not good. Are miracles possible? Lesson 7 and then 8 uh, through 12, we have, uh, do we have an accurate copy of what we're talking about Scripture? Do the New Testament writers tell the truth? We got two, two different uh, lessons on that, uh, talking about the books of the Bible. And uh, then we'll, the last lesson in this series will just, conclu- will just be a conclusion going back over. Uh, another, another thing that I encourage you to is as we talk about this stuff, text, talk to each other in the church. You know, start conversations between yourself in the church and, and talk about those, those things, okay? So what I want to do now, I think I got one more scripture up here. No, I don't. That's the last scripture we're going to do right now. Uh, write this scripture down, Romans 1, 18 through 23. And I don't know if he's going to hit this. I can't remember if he hits this right the first, but why do some people re- reject truth in Christianity? Why do some people reject truth in Christianity? That, uh, those, those sets of scriptures will uh, tell you that. So without any further delay, let's go ahead, and I'm going to let, uh, let you get to listen to Frank Turk. Like I said, he's got a lot of energy, very intelligent guy. Uh, he'll, I believe he'll keep your uh, attention as we do this. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Frank Turk. Before I get started, let me ask you this. How many have heard me before, or this is your first time? <laughs> how many of you are here tonight? Okay, how many don't respond to surveys? It's an election year. We need to know this. One, two, three. Well, welcome. And the first question I always start with is, why are you here? I, I, I don't mean, why are you here tonight, but... Uh, why you're here in this seminar tonight. Why are you here on earth? What is the purpose of your life? This is the interactive portion of the program. (laughs) Why are we here? What's the point? I mean, is life just a glorified monopoly game? Get a whole bunch of stuff now because when the game is over, it's all going to go back in the box. Is that it? One preacher put it to his congregation this way. He said, one day you are going to die. And they're going to dress you up in your best suit or your best outfit. They're going to dig a hole somewhere. They're going to put you in a box. They're going to lower you into that hole. Then they're going to throw dirt in your face and go back to the church and eat potato salad. (laughs) Is that it? You just take a dirt nap for all eternity? I don't think that's the meaning to life. I don't think we're just molecular machines that when we perish, it's over. I think there's a real true meaning to life. And you can find that true meaning in what we call now the Bible. But it's really an ancient collection of documents we've put under one binding. Now, when you say that this book is actually true, particularly on college campuses where I spend most of my time, people look at you like you have three heads. Are you crazy? This book was written by religious people who embellished it, made it up. There's miracles in it. We don't believe in miracles anymore. Miracles can't occur. How can you believe this nonsense? Jonah, Noah, please. This stuff doesn't happen. And by the way, evolution's true. Didn't you know that? So this book can't be true. That's what they say. I actually think this book is true. And you only need to answer four questions in the affirmative to say this book is true. If you answer yes to these four questions, you can say beyond any reasonable doubt that the Bible is true. Not beyond all doubt, 
but beyond a reasonable doubt that the Bible is true. What are the four questions? These are the four questions. music, isn't it? That is actually from our TV program, which is on every Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. on DirecTV, channel 378. How many people here have DirecTV? Can I see your hands, please? DirecTV. Okay, 40% of us or so. Why not the rest of us? Friends don't let friends watch cable. If you want to get, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, you got to get DirecTV. Actually, that's not true. You can watch it live on your on your uh, computer, if you're on your computer at that time, if you go to the website crossexamine.org, click on TV show, it'll take you to another site that airs the NRB network, which is what we're on live. It's not archive. You've got to be on your uh, computer at the time. We're also on radio every Saturday mornings at 10 a.m., 144 stations around the country. I don't know what they are, but if you go to that website there, you can see where they are. And you can also listen to it live on the Internet or in podcasts. That one is archived. It is on iTunes. And what we do there is we present evidence for Christianity, and we cross-examine ideas against it. And we're commanded to do this, by the way. Uh, this, uh, what we're going to be doing here tonight is something we call apologetics. Apologetics doesn't mean you're saying you're sorry. It doesn't mean uh, that you're upset about something or you did something wrong. It means... To give an answer. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And the word that is used there, it actually says give a defense, in Greek means or is apologia. Or apologia, depending upon how you pronounce it. That word means to give an answer. And that's what we do when we say we're doing apologetics. And so we're going to spend a lot of time together going through the evidence that Christianity is indeed true. Now, why are these the four questions? Does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? Is the New Testament true? Well, obviously, the Bible can't be true if there is no truth, right? Or if it's just true for you but not for me, or all truth is relative. You've heard these claims before, right? Well, if the Bible's not true, or I should say if there is no truth, the Bible can't be true. Of course, if there is no truth, then any book written by an atheist can't be true either. Like The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. If there's no truth, Dawkins isn't right either. So you can see there's a problem who, with people who claim there is no truth. This is called relativism or postmodernism, and today we're going to show you that relativism and postmodernism are false. So in a strange way, we're going to answer yes to question one. In a strange way, we're going to rescue potentially both the Bible and Richard Dawkins as potentially being true, because there is truth out there. Relativism, postmodernism is false. The second question, does God exist? You can't have a word from God if there's no God. If there's no God, throw the Bible away and every other book that talks about God. I hope to show you tonight that there is a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator out there. Tonight we're going to look at two of three arguments that will give us that being, that theistic God. And these two arguments are scientific arguments. And you'll see that when we get to this section. We're going to show, without using the Bible, that the God or a God like the God of the Bible exists, that a theistic God exists. Then we're going to get to the question, are miracles possible? Obviously, if, if uh, miracles are not possible, the Bible's false. I hope to show you tonight that not only are miracles possible, but the greatest miracle in the Bible has already occurred, and we have scientific evidence for it. We're going to get into that tonight. 
Then ultimately, when you get to the key question, is the New Testament true? The New Testament doesn't have a prayer if truth doesn't exist, God doesn't exist, or miracles are not possible. But if truth exists, God exists, and miracles are possible, then we're going to see if we're then we can see if we have an accurate, historically reliable account of other miracles occurring in the first century to a man named Jesus and his apostles in the twenty-seven handwritten Greek manuscripts we've now put under one binding called the New Testament. Do those documents tell us the truth about what happened about two thousand years ago, or were they written much later? by religious people who made it up, embellished it, and we can't trust it. We're going to see eventually when we get here uh, several nights from now that the New Testament documents literally are good history. Now, you might look at that and go, well, what about the Old Testament? Do you believe the Old Testament's true? If the New Testament's reliable, you get the Old Testament thrown in. Why? Who's in the New Testament that can authenticate the Old Testament? Jesus. If Jesus really is God, as the New Testament, New Testament documents claim he is, now that's a big if, but if he really is God, then whatever God teaches is true. Jesus taught the entire Old Testament is the word of God, so if the New Testament's reliable, you get the Old Testament thrown in. Okay. Now, actually, the argument in the book, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, goes through a lot more detail. It goes through 12 points that show Christianity is true, but these are the main four. And you might look at that and go, well, Frank, what about evolution? Well, we're going to talk about evolution as well, as the book does. We're going to get into it uh, next week in greater detail. So we're going to hit that as well. And if you really want to go into detail, you can get the book to see the complete 12-point case uh, that goes into all this material. Uh, We're going to only be able to cover small pieces of it. And really, uh, one of the reasons we're filming this here tonight, as you can see, we've got camera crews, is because you're all going to be part of a new curriculum that goes through this. So get ready for some questions so you can get some FaceTime on camera, because this is now going to go around the world, and you better have a good question, okay? Like, where did Cain get his wife or something like that? You know, come up with something, because I think it's quite obvious, eHarmony.com. All right, anyway... um, In any event, we're going to take questions a little bit later, and here's how we're going to try and get the night to go, if if this works out right. We're going to do a couple of 30 or so minute segments, and then we're going to take some questions, take a break, and come back and do two more 30-minute segments. You go, oh, that's a long night. It will actually move quickly, because this is fun stuff. It actually is fun stuff. So that's what we're going to do. Are you guys ready to go? All right, good, good. Oh, oh, and by one other thing, if I time this just right, we'll have absolutely no time for your questions. No, no, no. We're actually going to take questions, as I said, after we do two 30-minute segments. And the first segment of the curriculum we're calling, of course, Lesson 1. And the question is, does truth exist? And we're going to introduce something to you called the Roadrunner Tactic. And for those, uh, there's some folks here from Southern Evangelical Seminary from where I've graduated. Uh, How many in here are from SES, by the way? Can I just see your hands? Look look, look around the room. You can see some people here from SES. The Roadrunner Tactic is something we use... Uh, at Southern Evangelical Seminary to point out when people say self-defeating statements. And you're going to see this here in a few minutes, and it's actually a great tool to know. If you know this uh, and are able to use it, uh, you're going to be a fearless apologist, all right? All right, so let's start here at point one, does truth exist? You ready? Now, whenever you start talking about truth, you always have to start with Jack Nicholson, (laughs) right? Because... Tom Cruise had Nicholson on the witness stand, and he said to him, Colonel, I want the truth. And what did Nicholson say? You can't handle the truth. 
Well, there's a lot of people in our culture today who can't handle the truth. They're saying there is no truth. They're saying you got your truth, I got my truth, all truth is relative. Well, if all those claims are so, then obviously the Bible can't be true, nor could Richard Dawkins' book be true. So there's got to be a problem with those claims. There is. We'll get to it in a minute. Let's define what we mean by truth. Truth is telling it like it is. If I say here we are at Transformation Church in Indian Land, South Carolina, that would be telling it like it is. If I say here we are at Stanford University, where I was last year, that wouldn't be telling it like it is. Or truth is what corresponds to its referent. If I'm referring to this book, I say this is a black Bible, that would be true. If I say it's a white Quran, that wouldn't be true. You're saying, Frank, I came out on a Sunday night for this? <laughs> this is so obvious. Why are you starting here? Because our first duty in today's culture is to state the obvious. There are people out there denying there's truth. So we need to define our terms. Truth is telling it like it is. Truth is what corresponds to reality, what corresponds to its referent. Now hold on to that definition of truth for a second. So can you think of something today that, uh, think of something out there, maybe you've come across somebody, you had a discussion with somebody that it's told you something that you know is not true, even though they say it's true. Can, any, can anybody give me an example? Go ahead. I don't have a personal um, story about it, but the obvious huge story is a man saying he's a woman. There you go. There you go. And that's one of the things that I thought about. That is probably the biggest thing today. We had a, a, a young lady at uh, UC Berserkley, I mean Berkeley, there in California, because they are berserk over there. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she decided, uh, she, was, she didn't vote against, but they came out and they said they wanted to, uh, th- even this, those didn't matter, they wanted to go against the Trump administration's, uh, um, their policy that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. And they want to do this. Well, she said, she, so she doesn't agree with that, but instead of her voting against that resolution, that's, that college student resolution, she just abstained. And she's been attacked mercilessly. I mean, to the point, not only do they want her to be recalled, but they want her to leave. The, there's lots, hundreds of students who want her to leave the school. And see what's happening? Because truth doesn't exist there, anything can be true, right, or anything can go. So I just wanted to thank you. That was a, that was a great one. Uh, anybody else have one that maybe you've run across, that, that maybe you've talked to somebody that wasn't true? Uh, you know, which one again? All right, well, we're going to continue. We now need to talk about something called the law of non-contradiction. And the law of non-contradiction helps us discover what is false. It is a fundamental rule of all thought. It's one of the laws of logic. And the law of non-contradiction says... That opposite ideas cannot be both true at the same time and in the same sense. For example, the earth can't be both round and not round at the same time and in the same sense, right? It's either round or it's not round, but it's not both. You with me? All right, good. You say, okay, I I get this. This is easy. But some people will say, well, look, Frank, this law of non-contradiction does not apply to religious claims. It does. Let me show you the most basic religious claim out there. Here it is. The man on the right is perhaps the most famous atheist in the world today, Richard Dawkins, who wrote the book The God Delusion. He says God does not exist. He, for many years, taught at Oxford University. The man on the left is John Lennox, who has also taught at Oxford University. In fact, he teaches there now. He says God does exist. Now, here's my question. 
can both of these men be right about this particular question? No, they both can't be right. If Dawkins is right, Lennox is wrong. If Lennox is right, Dawkins is wrong. But they're both not right and they're both not wrong. Right? Okay, so who's right here? Yeah, you guys are having trouble. It's Lennox, all right? It's very easy. It's Lennox. I'm going to give you evidence that Lennox is right. But for now, I just want to point out that the law of non-contradiction applies to religious claims. Now, by the way, if you want to see an absolutely fascinating debate... Go to our website, crossexamine.org, click on the blog, and search for Dawkins-Lennox. Because these two gentlemen debated two or three times. We have one of the debates on our website. And it is a brilliant debate. It's not dueling speeches like most debates are. They're actually having a conversation going back and forth. And since both men have British accents, they sound even more brilliant. (laughs) It's a very interesting debate, and I really think Lennox, of course, got the best of Dawkins, which is, I think, one reason why Dr. Dawkins refuses to debate anybody uh, who is a real Christian apologist like William Lane Craig, who has been trying to debate Dawkins for many years now, and Dawkins just won't debate him. But if you really want to see a good debate, check that out, the Lennox-Dawkins debate. Now, the law of non-contradiction is undeniable. Even those who deny it use it. Suppose you catch a friend of yours in a contradiction and you say to your friend, hey, that's contradictory, that violates the law of non-contradiction, and your friend just doesn't want to hear it. In fact, he says, I don't even believe in the law of non-contradiction. What should you say to him? Uh, You do believe in it. He's going to say, no, I don't. You say, you do believe in it. He says, no, I don't. You say, you do believe in it. He says, no, I don't. You say, you do believe in it. You're using it right now to contradict me. You see, you can't think a thought without the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction is to thinking what your eyes are to seeing. You can't see without eyes, and you can't think without the law of non-contradiction. It's just part of the furniture of the universe. It's one of the laws you use to discover everything else. You can't prove it. You just know it. It's a self-evident truth. Now, there was a great Muslim philosopher a number of years ago who had a fantastic way of convincing those who denied the law of non-contradiction that they were wrong. His name was Avicenna. Here's what Avicenna said. He said, anyone who denies the law of non-contradiction should be beaten and burned until he admits that to be beaten is not the same as not to be beaten and to be burned. (laughs) And to be burned is not the same as not to be burned. You can see there's a difference between being beaten and not being beaten. By the way, this is not a Christian tactic. Okay, I just want you guys to know that. But it does get to the point rather quickly. Now, hold on to law of non-contradiction. We're going to come back to it. I'm here to say that all truth is absolute truth. Something that is true is true for all persons at all times in all places. There are no relative truths. You say, I can think of a relative truth right now. Like what? Well, it's been quite warm here in the Charlotte area the past few weeks, hasn't it? In fact, I felt warm today, and you probably did too. But I'm sure the people in Alaska who recently felt minus 83 degrees Fahrenheit, they felt cold. That's relative. No, it's not relative at all. Why? It's absolutely true for all people at all times in all places that were referring to you today, you felt warm, if in fact you really did. Remember, truth is what corresponds to its referent. And it's absolutely true for all people at all times in all places that were referring to people in Alaska recently, they felt cold, if in fact they really did. It's just true. Now, when you say that all truth is absolute truth, people will claim that you are very judgmental. In fact, they're going to say things like this back at you. They're going to say, wait, there is no truth. This is called postmodernism or relativism. They're going to say that you can't know truth. 
they might say all truth is relative. You've heard that, right? Oh, it's all relative. Uh, one of my favorites is, it's true for you, but not for me. Well, Christianity may be true for you, but Buddhism's true for me. What do you say to that? Or they might say, no one has the truth, you ignorant, arrogant Christian. You think you have the truth? Let me tell you something. No one has the truth. And if they really get annoyed with you, they might say, you know what? You just ought not judge. Jesus said, don't judge. Why are you judging? Hypocrite. can't believe it. Now, if we can't answer these claims then we can't say the Bible is true. And by the way, if Richard Dawkins can't answer these claims, then he couldn't say his book was true either. Because if there's no truth, he's not right either. So there's got to be a problem with these claims. There is. What's the problem with these claims? Every single one of them violates the law of non-contradiction. That's why we had to go over that. Now, if you don't get anything else out of what we talk about here tonight, if you get this one idea down, it'll be worth your time. In fact, I think half of your ability to be a good apologist, somebody who defends the faith, is based on your mastery of what we're about to talk about here. And it, it only takes five minutes to learn. If you learn it, you will become fearless because you will be able to identify false statements like that and turn it back on the person and show the person that what they just said can't be true. And here's how you do it. In order to show that these claims are false, what you need to do is apply the claim to itself. Apply the claim to itself. Let me give you an example of this. Suppose someone were to walk in here right now and say, I can't speak a word in English. What would you say to them? <laughs> hey, didn't you just say that in English? Can everybody see that this violates the law of non-contradiction? This is a self-defeating statement. It's like saying there are no sentences in the English language longer than three words. Or it's like saying, my parents had no kids that lived. Or my brother is an only child. <laughs> kind of a practical self-defeating statement. Or everything I say is a lie. Some of you will get that tomorrow. <laughs> or all generalizations are false. Some of you will never get that one. All right. Now, we call this process of turning a claim on itself the roadrunner tactic. Why? Because it reminds us of Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner. What's Wile E. Coyote's only mission in life? Catch the roadrunner and eat him. I don't know why. I mean, roadrunner doesn't look like a very tasty meal, does he? Anyway, but roadrunner is just too smart and too fast. As soon as Coyote's about to grab him, Roadrunner stops short of the cliff. Coyote goes blowing by him, and for a split second, he's hanging in midair until he realizes what? He's got no ground to stand on, and he plummets to the valley floor in a heap. That's exactly what you can do when people utter self-defeating statements. You can show them that their argument has no foundation below it, that there's no ground below it, that it's self-defeating, that it violates itself. It can't be true. Because it doesn't even meet its own standard. So let's apply the roadrunner tactic to several claims that we hear in our culture today. This is probably the most common one. In fact, I heard it on WBT a number of years ago. There was a, a, a guy here locally in Charlotte, a guy by the name of Jerry Klein. I don't know if you remember him, but he was a, he was a Jewish pantheist, whatever that means. Uh, he believed everything is God. And, and he was taking calls one day. And people kept calling in, and one guy called in and just said, Hey, Jerry, there is no truth. So I picked up the phone, 
I dialed in. I was trying to get on, busy, busy, busy. I wanted to get on and say, hey, Jerry, to the guy who said there is no truth, is that true? <laughs> Can you see that's a self-defeating statement right there? I mean, somebody who says there is no truth is making a truth claim. There is no truth can't be true, but it claims to be true. So it can't be true. I can't even say that without getting confused. <laughs> now, by the way, with this one little tactic of turning a claim on itself, you look like a super genius. How about this one? Have you heard this? There's no such thing as absolute truth. You've heard this. People say it all the time. Now, if somebody ever says to you there's no such thing as absolute, as, as absolute truth, what do you need to do? Turn the claim on itself. What question should you ask them? Yes, is that absolutely true or are you absolutely sure? You see, because that is an absolute truth claim right there. Once again, you look like a super genius. How about this one? This is my favorite. It's true for you, but not for me. Well, Christianity is true for you, but Buddhism is true for me. What do you say to that? It's true for you, but not for me. You guys are having trouble with this one, so let me call in your pastor. He would know how to handle this, okay? (laughs) Derwin would know, Pastor Derwin would know how to handle this. What would Derwin say? He would say to somebody who says it's true for you, but not for me, he'd say, hey, is that true for everybody? Is true for you, but not for me, true for everybody? Because if true for you, but not for me is true for everybody, then true for you, but not for me can't be true because it's true for everybody. Did I say that right? I know that can give you intellectual constipation if you think about it long enough. But that's because it's self-defeating. It violates itself. It can't be true. Actually, there's a more fun way of dealing with this. If somebody says it's true for you but not for me, say, sure, go try that with your bank teller. Yeah, go to your bank teller one day and say, uh, you know, the economy's down. I need some extra money. Give me $100,000 out of my account. Bank teller looks at your account and says, I'm sorry, I only have $12.16 in your account. It's very easy to get the money. You simply look back out at the teller and you go, that's true for you, but not for me. Give me the hundred grand. <laughs> you're going to get the money? No. Or you're going a little fast down uh, 77 out here. You're going 90 and a 55. It happens. Cop sees you, pulls you over. He walks up to your car, knocks on the window. You put the glass down. He looks down at you and he says, you're going 90 and a 55. Very easy to get out of a ticket. You simply look back up at him and you go, that's true for you, but not for me. And you speed away. Can't give you a ticket if it's not true for you. Can't. No, if it's true you were going 90, that's true for all people at all times in all places when referring to you at that time. It's just true. By the way, if it's true Jesus rose from the dead, that's true for all people at all times in all places, whether you believe it or not. By the way, I go to a lot of churches, and usually I'll start out by saying, hey, do you believe this book is true? And most people will say, well, of course. I'll then ask them, why? Why do you think it's true? You know what answer I get more than any other, unfortunately? Because I have faith. Is that a good answer? Because I have faith. Does your faith change whether or not God exists or Jesus rose from the dead? No, either God exists or he doesn't exist, regardless of what you believe about it. Either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't rise from the dead, regardless of what you believe about it. You say, well, why is the Bible then always talking about faith? Because there's at least two kinds of faith. There's belief that, and then there's belief in. Belief that is getting evidence that God exists, that Jesus rose from the dead, that the Bible is true. That's apologetics. That's what we're about to do here. 
But all the belief that in the world won't get you saved, according to Christian theology, because you haven't believed in. You see, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, says even the demons believe that God exists, but they tremble. They don't put their trust in Christ. They know intellectually better than we do that God exists, but they don't trust in him. In order to be saved, you've got to trust in. Why? Because God is not going to force any person into heaven against his or her will. If you don't want God now, you're not going to want him in eternity. So it's not just intellectual assent, it's also volitional, putting your trust in. When I first met my wife 27 years ago, I got evidence that she would be a good wife. But all the evidence in the world didn't make her my wife. I then had to take a step of trust in her and ask her to be my wife. And in a momentary lapse of judgment, she said yes. <laughs> so here we are. Remember, you don't have to believe something to make it true. I mean, do you have to believe in gravity to stay on the ground? The people who don't believe in gravity float away. Hey, look, there's another one. Hey, if you believe, you'll come back. No, that's not the way it works. It's either true or not, regardless of what you believe in it or believe about it. Now, why is the Bible always talking about faith? Because most of the time the Bible's talking about faith, it's talking about belief in. It's not talking about belief that. It assumes you're going to get evidence that it's true. Several times it tells you to do that, but most of the times it says trust in, trust in, trust in. A better word is trust in our culture, not faith. Trust in. And so we're going to be talking a lot about belief that, but it won't get you anywhere unless you believe in. How about this? You hear this a lot. There's no truth in anything but science. Richard Dawkins gets very, gets very close to saying this. There's no truth in anything but science. So we get all our truth from science. Now let's use the roadrunner tactic here. Let's apply the claim to itself. If someone were to say this to you, what would you say to them? Exactly. Is that a scientific truth? Can you go in the laboratory and prove that? No, you can't go in the laboratory and prove that. That's a philosophical claim. And you can't do science without philosophy. Science is built on philosophy. In fact, we're going to see this a little bit later. Unfortunately, according to Einstein himself, he said, the man of science is a poor philosopher. Philosophy undergirds everything we do. When you get a PhD, what does the PH stand for? Philosophy, philosophy of physics, philosophy of biology, whatever it is. You know, all data needs to be interpreted. When scientists look at a biological entity, it doesn't say made by Yahweh on there. Neither does it say evolved from the first one-celled creature without intelligent intervention. You need to look at the data and make an interpretation. That involves reasoning skills, which is philosophy. And while you get some truth, certainly, from science, you can't get all truth from science. Because not everything is empirically verifiable. Many things you get from philosophy. You just know them, like the law of non-contradiction. Like it's wrong to torture babies for fun. You don't get that from science. So don't buy into this idea that you can get all truth from science. You can get much truth from science, but not all. We'll talk more about this later. How about Immanuel Kant, who said you can't know the real world? How many in here have heard of Immanuel Kant? How many in here have studied any of Immanuel Kant? Just a few. Immanuel Kant has affected your thinking more so than virtually any other philosopher in the past, say, 300 years. He and David Hume. And you might not even know who he is. But Kant's basic philosophy was this. There's a real world out there, but your 
the phenomena that comes from the real world goes through your mind, and your mind categorizes that phenomena in such a way that you can't know the real world in, in itself. You can only know what your mind does to the data. Leave it to a philosopher to come up with this, okay? So he said you can't know the real world. You can only know what your mind does to the data that comes from the real world. Now, if you wanted to point out that Kant was wrong, what question would you ask him? Yeah, you'd simply ask that. Well, then how could you know that about the real world? How come Kant says we can't know about the real world, but he can't? See? <laughs> See, he is making a truth claim about the real world. How does he know this? He, his own theory defeats itself. It's self-defeating. It violates the law of non-contradiction. It's like saying I can't speak a word in English. Now you say, oh, Frank, what's the big deal about Kant? Why are you spending time on Kant here? Because just about everything you hear in the culture is based on that premise right there that you can't know the real world. That you can only know scientific things, and everything that you think about religion is just a matter of faith. It's not really fact. Everything you think about morality, just a matter of faith. It's not really fact. It's all personal opinion. There's really no truth to it. It all comes from right here. And if you can't understand Kant, you can't understand what's going on in our culture right now. How about this? The skeptical claim, you should doubt everything. What would you say to somebody who says you should doubt everything? Hey, should I doubt that? You see, why are skeptics skeptical of everything but skepticism? You notice that? They don't doubt skepticism. They're sure about that. By the way, how many people in here have doubts? I don't care whether you're a Christian or an atheist or somewhere in between. Raise your hand. Come on. Everyone has doubts. In fact, I have doubts. I wrote a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and some days I wake up and I go, I don't even know if it's true. You ever do that? Sure you do. A friend of mine who does a lot of seminars like this says, before my first cup of coffee in the morning, I'm an atheist. <laughs> Everybody has doubts. I have doubts. Everyone has doubts. But you know what? When I start thinking about my doubts, I realize that my doubts are more emotional. They're not intellectual. In other words, the facts don't change. What changes? I change. Some days, good days. Other days, bad days. Other days, um, yeah, God's great. Everything's good. Other days, I don't even know if he exists. What's changed? God hasn't changed. The evidence hasn't changed. I've changed. I realize my doubts are emotional. They're not intellectual. I realize that the evidence is quite good, so I really ought to start doubting my doubts because if I start doubting my doubts, then I'm back to knowing something for sure. Have you guys ever thought about doubting your doubts? I doubt it. <laughs> oh, this is the granddaddy of them all. You ought not judge. Have you heard this? Especially if you're a Christian. Forget what Jesus said about it for just a second. What is the problem with the claim? Yeah, the next time somebody says you ought not judge, say, isn't that a judgment? <laughs> or you might say, then why are you judging me for judging? <laughs> See, because that's what they're doing. It is a judgment. Now, by the way, did Jesus say, don't judge? No. What did Jesus say? People only quote like half the verse. This is Matthew 7, 1. He says, judge not, lest you be judged. By the same standard you judge others, you'll be judged by that standard. So before you try and take the speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out of your own eye first, then you'll be better able to help your brother. Is Jesus telling us not to judge here? No, he's telling us to take the speck out of our brother's eye. That involves making a judgment. He's simply saying, get the log out of your own eye first, then you'll be better able to help your brother. In other words, this is not a command not to judge. It is a command on how to judge. Don't judge hypocritically. If you've got that problem in your life, 
get it out of your life and then go help your brother. But it would be complete suicide to say don't make judgments. We've made 100 judgments. Every one of us in this room has made 100 judgments in the past 24 hours between right and wrong, safe choices from dangerous choices, good and evil. You'd be dead already if you didn't make judgments. In fact, Jesus in John 7, 24 says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. You know, everybody makes judgments. Christians make judgments. Muslims make judgments. Atheists make judgments. You have to make a judgment to be an atheist, don't you? You have to make a judgment to be a Christian. You even have to make a judgment to be agnostic. Oh, gee, I don't know. You know, you got, you got to make a judgment. Everybody makes judgments. The only question is, are your judgments true? I will say, however, that Jesus did save a very stern rebuke for people who were judgmental. And who were the judgmental ones in his day? The Pharisees. And who were the Pharisees? What did they do? They were the religious and, get this, political leaders of Israel. And Jesus went after them. Are you telling me Jesus got involved in politics? Yes! Jesus berated the political leaders of his day. And sometimes he wasn't so nice. If you think Jesus was some kind of sissy, you need to read Matthew chapter 23. What does it say in Matthew chapter 23? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're whitewashed tombs on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You go a mile to make a convert, and then once you make them a convert, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. How will you avoid being condemned to hell? Sweet and gentle Jesus said this? Yes, Jesus was not Barney. Okay? Can't we all just get along, boys and girls? No! He was not Mr. Rogers. Can you say kindness, boy? No! Well, sometimes he was kind, but other times he was very direct. And, you know, sometimes you need to be kind, and other times you need to be very direct. In fact, there might be somebody in your life right now that needs a good slap upside their head. And if you don't do it, you're enabling them course you might be that person too right but the point here is is you've got to know how to treat people and sometimes you got to be direct and other times you have to be soft and sweet don't buy into this idea though that jesus didn't make judgments everybody makes judgments the only question again is are your judgments true now there's many more of these self-defeating claims that we could go through in our, in our culture today, but we don't have time. We've got to move on to the next segment. But I do want to point out that this roadrunner tactic, the process of turning a claim on itself to point out that the claim is false, reminds me of a lie detector. Now here's the truth about truth. Contrary beliefs are possible, but contrary truths are not possible. You can believe everything's true, but everything can't be true. You can believe the earth's flat if you want. Doesn't mean it is. And objective truths can't be denied without being affirmed. Suppose somebody says, well, look, there are no objective truths. What should you say to them? Use the roadrunner tactic. Is that an objective truth? Because if it is, it defeats itself. If it's not, if it's just in you, just in the subject, in other words, it's just your subjective opinion, why should I believe it? You see, you can't get away from objective truth. It's out there. The question we're going to look at now, is it objectively true that God exists? Okay? And and that's going to get us into the next lesson. And that's going to be lesson two, does God exist? And this is called in the beginning. All right. So, so far, we've pointed out that, yes, truth does exist. And now we're going to look at the...
on. Um, and I know that it, that our you know our time's pretty much uh, pretty much up. So next week, what we'll do is I'd like to I'd like to go over this. I'll have some questions for y'all to you know to try to push a little bit of the discussion as we get started next week over what we did. And plus, I saw a lot of you taking notes. So bring your notes with you because you may have something that you want to ask. So here's the here's the here's the big question that we learned. If somebody tells you that uh, tells you something, what do you, you they say something as as a fact or truth? Then what's the roadrunner tactic? So if you say uh, abs- absolute truth does not exist, what was what did he say? What what was? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, turn the claim on itself. And, and understand what he's doing. And you say, well, well, I didn't hear a ton of scripture. What he's doing is setting it up to help you when you're witnessing and when you're discussing these things at work across the the table with somebody uh, when you're eating lunch with them. Maybe it's a friend that hasn't come to Christ. Let me tell you something. We can, we can tell people what God's done in our life, and that's good. But if we can show them that he exists and that he is real, then they have to make a decision. They have to make a choice. Am I going to serve him? Am I not going to serve him? Am I going to believe in him, put my faith and trust in him, or am I not? Because no longer is it, oh, that's great for you, Will. It's not great for me, right? Well, that may be true for you, Will, but it's not true for me. But if we show them that it has nothing to do with whether I have faith in Christ, it, the, the, the fact of the matter is these scriptures are correct. And so that's what he's trying to set us up with to help us. And, you know, what we need to be doing as a church is starting the conversation with people. It's a word that I would like us to use going into this next year or a phrase, start the conversation. And, um, for instance, we're starting a, a new uh, communications program in our church that's going to help us communicate with uh, new members or, or members, newcomers, and, and volunteers, and, and many other areas too. And what I was talking to the team about last night is I want to use the word communication, not information. You can give people information, but if you could communicate in between them, if you could sit across the, the lunch table with a, with a, uh, a, a you know an employee or a, a, a coworker or maybe uh, somebody that's in your family and communicate with them, then maybe you can get some of this going and you can start. And I want you to be confident in that because we need to witness to people. We need to be telling people about the Lord. That is our responsibility. Remember that the early church was meeting daily. They were studying scripture and the word says that they were uh, adding to their number those being saved on a daily basis. And that's, that's what we need to get in our spirit, that we are adding, that the Lord is adding to our numbers, like I said Sunday, not the people that go to, down the street to another church, but those that are being saved daily. And so we need to do that.